Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And we are here today with the marvelous Ellen Sussman. Ellen Sussman is the author of four national best-selling novels, A Wedding in Provence, The Paradise Guest House, French Lessons, and On a Night Like This. All four books have been translated into many languages, and French Lessons has been optioned by unique features to be made into a movie. Super exciting. Ellen is also the editor of two critically acclaimed anthologies, Dirty Words, a literary encyclopedia of sex, and Bad Girls, 26 Writers Misbehave. Uh, we're not going to do all of her uh, accolades, but she was um, a San Francisco Library Laureate. She's had many fellowships uh, awarded, and she's taught um, at various places and now teaches through San Francisco, San Francisco Stanford Continuing Studies in, and in private classes and at the Sonoma County Writers Camp, which we direct together and we'll touch on a little bit later in the second half of our agenda. Um, so welcome, Ellen. Thanks. So nice to be here with you guys. So great to have you here. So, um, so uh, <laughs> we're going to talk today about conflict as kind of a core principle in storytelling. And then we're also going to talk about writing retreats. And so, not a retreat from writing. Yeah. No. That, that, in, fact, in fact, what to do in order to avoid retreating from writing, yes, retreat right. from the world. Yeah. So let's start with what are you working on? So Ellen... I'm writing a, a new novel. Um, I I have, do not talk about what I'm writing about while I'm writing it. Um, I've known too many people. I've heard it said too many times that sort of the energy goes out of their project when they spend too much time discussing it instead of putting that energy onto the page. Um, but I'm probably about 75 pages into a first draft. Uh, this is the part of the process that I love. I love first draft um, writing. <laughs> not everybody would say not that. Not <laughs> everybody says that. To me, it's just um, kind of diving into the story and the characters and not censoring myself, not editing myself, giving myself free reign to follow the characters wherever they want to go. And then I figure out what to do with the mess I've created much later on. So this is just sort of wallowing in that mess, <laughs> uh, trying to give it, you know, some direction. And we'll talk about conflict um, in terms of all of that. But um, I love the, I don't like writing, rewriting, because when you are, I, I've learned how to do it over the years, <laughs> but when you're rewriting, you have to put that, um, uh, sort of critical mind to work that says this is great but this part sucks and now you've got to fix it and I write a first draft kind of cheering myself on um, by believing in some delusional way that what I'm writing is just great mm. like oh my god this is fabulous and what a fun place to live for a good long time right in yeah. your delusions <laughs> that's why we do fiction that's why right? we do yeah. it so uh first draft writing is all of that um giving myself permission to be delusional mm -hmm. and i'll let myself be critical much later when uh when i've got uh you know 300 pages written that's great i love that so um 
uh, I am, well, we, we had a, a writing group retreat this weekend and we'll talk a little bit about that in the second half of the show, but it was so fantastic. And I read through my entire draft and then I mapped it out on a bunch of yellow lined paper that Ellen had in her house and like, so I have sort of 15 pages of outline and, um, and now I'm going through and inputting the edits that I wrote all over my manuscript, but I'm feeling that shape that we, we talked about at lunch, like the shape of it starting to come together. I do like that second part of the process, the rewriting part. I do. I do like that part. I mean, I've been, I think I'm really far into it. Like I'm sort of really looking forward to being done to the next, to like doing something that's like new and fresh. And, and I always have a fantasy that, you know, that I'm going to, come into the next one with all this clarity that I've like so painstaking right. like, gotten over years. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so that's the fantasy I'm in. Exactly. My delusions are about the future. But yeah. <laughs> How about you, Angie? Um, well, I am in the middle of continuing to try and wrangle production aspects of the film. We've just shifted the dates on that, as you know. Um, and that also requires that I do some rewriting on the script to accommodate the changes. Change of location. Change of location. So um, No swimming pool anymore. No swimming pool anymore. And no one was going to swim in March anyway, yes. so it's kind of okay. Um, and I don't feel like I'm you know, losing an asset that way. Um, but it's very interesting because I also have you know, the director hat, and it keeps bringing you back to uh, looking at what's there and then... Looking at the screenplay, it's very different than prose. You're looking at the screenplay for subtext. That's what you're doing. That's the constant sort of examination and really clear about like, what do the characters want? How do I visually make that clear? And um, so having the director hat, which isn't quite the same as the editor's hat, but having the director hat and saying, now I have to take this and turn it into that really highlights the places where... It doesn't quite work, or you cheated a right. little bit. You're like, are you feeling a little angry at the writer? Right no, what? <laughs> an a-hole. Um, so, so it's interesting. It's interesting having experience doing both kinds of writing and having to, you know written screenplays and screenplay programs and you know, doing the whole set of things. But when you're actually directing it, it's just a very different thing. And you do, I think, um, you know, you're always looking for that thing that takes it far enough away that you can be a little bit brutal and it's what far enough away. the work you've done right mm-hmm. you always need that time you need that distance. space oh distance. yeah 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 and having a completely different hat yes gives you oh, that right that's interesting that. right yeah so so I wanted to talk about conflict because when Ellen and I were thinking about Sonoma County Writers Camps that we have coming up one in May, uh, May oh my goodness and one in August uh we decided to have topics because a lot of people wanted to come back again as we didn't want to have it be exactly the same every Mm -hmm. time different focus each time yeah and so for may we're focusing on conflict and it's and it's actually called go big or go home what lessons in conflict is that our subtitle something like that (laughs) Uh, and that came from an exercise that you do is that right well i'll tell you where it really began um i have been teaching for years and i find that what I spend most of uh, the time on with my students' work is convincing them to push their stories further, to take 
to make more happen, to raise the stakes, um, to put the drama on the page. And I had a student in a class years ago who used the expression that is now very common, go big or go home. And I remember it was the first time I had ever heard the expression and I just went wild for it. And I thought it just spoke so clearly to what I'm trying to say when I'm talking about plot. I mean, a conflict is plot. A conflict is what happens in a story. It was also tied to, at around the same time, my um, agent, who was also Elizabeth's agent, mentioned to me that she thought what was changing in the publishing world in um, at this point in time, this was a few years ago, but it certainly is changing more in this direction. She said, uh, it is getting more difficult to publish quiet stories. And I, I, I find myself resistant to reading quiet stories. Mm. I read because I love drama and I want to be swept away into a, a big conflict-packed <laughs> dramatic story. Um, and yet my students are often very scared to write big drama. And many of them are leading quiet lives and they're trying to capture life on the page. And I don't think fiction is real life. Fiction is something else that we craft out of real life, but nobody would read the quiet stories of, of you know, some of us have big dramatic daily, lives, of daily, of daily life. life. You need to um, create drama, create conflict to move your stories forward. So the go big go or go home uh, expression has stayed with me and it feels like it speaks exactly to that, to our hesitation um, in, in putting drama, big drama on the page, in putting our characters at great peril, at raising stakes so it's not just can I survive um, this test but can I survive, right? Like, let's let's go big mm -hmm. and make it really a question of life and death, a question of um, will this relationship survive, not just, you know, who's going to win that fight. <laughs> so Who's um, going to buy the milk? Who's going to buy the milk? <laughs> um, and it's okay if who's going to buy the milk is a reflection of the bigger conflict in the relationship as it often is, as it often is. <laughs> um, so that's where it, it came from in, in my background as a teacher and as a writer um, and I just felt like if we're looking for focus for the um, Sonoma County Writers Camp um, let's focus where I think so many writers um, need help need yeah to, encouragement and permission right. to go big right permission. because I think a Absolutely. lot of times we feel we shouldn't take up space or right. we're going to crab along in a small way now, I have a feeling, just from looking at Angie's face and, and knowing her, that that this passionate articulation of something she really teaches in many ways right. has spurred her to make the, uh, what's the... What's, I'm a devil's advocate. Yes. Really. To be, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm, yeah, yeah. Knowing, like, if you had said, you know, story isn't important and conflict, whatever, then you would be, you would have a, a very yes, wonderful and passionate speech about conflict too. But I'm curious because what you're, what you're advocating over there for the devil <laughs> Since conflict is, well, of I course, so interesting. I had a really funny moment when you said about like picking up the milk because I suddenly remembered this story about a woman who goes to buy milk and her son has an episode. Like a. In the middle of buying like a, milk. Like an epileptic episode? No, no, like, you know, like a tantrum, but he's like oh, 16. Oh. So there's a lot of 
parents right now dealing right. with kids who are having regulation issues. Do you, know this, then, do you have a link for us? I mean, no, yeah. because then I realized I wrote that story, <laughs> and um, it was like that was a really good example of no, that was not anyway. Um, but I think that's that, conflict, though. The, yes. the milk, on, no, but the episode is yes, yes, yes absolutely, absolutely. But I think that um, you know, for for those of us who may have been raised in like Norwegian households, <laughs> um, that. One of the things that I think people are trying to capture is the, it isn't the absence of a big conflict. It's just that in some cultures, the raise of an eyebrow right. carries the weight of, you know, a cudgel to the head. Right. And we don't know how to set it up so that it carries the meaning. Oh, so that's, that's fascinating because what you need to do then is to make that moment so fully charged that we understand mm. what is brewing under the surface of that moment where right. i tend to be looking for the more obvious um what just came to my mind as you talked about your scene i gave an exercise once to my students that there is a hold up at the 7-eleven and the uh, couple of customers are tied up in the storage room while the people, the robbers are, are uh, rifling through the uh, cash register, um, write that scene. And somebody immediately included that tied up or, or created tied up in the storage room is a young mom whose baby was in the car, is in the uh. car and she dashed in to get uh, <laughs> milk or diapers. Milk. <laughs> Thank you. It turns out milk is like a heck of a motivator. That's, that's going to be our next milk. year. We're going to have milk as a topic. Please call this episode milk. milk. <laughs> uh, so she dashes in to buy milk thinking I can leave the baby for one second. Um, and then this robbery begins. So what's happened is the writer has raised the stakes so significantly, right? It's not just, am I going to survive um, what's happening to me right now in the storage room, mm. but what's happening to my baby in the car? And maybe it's even 88 degrees outside right. or or it's a not safe neighborhood or yeah. who knows what it is. So the, we, we're really talking, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in those big terms, but I love the notion that we should look at whatever moment it is and do you raise the stakes from the inside or do you raise the stakes from the outside? Do you, how do you get to what's brewing, what's um, churning inside for each of the characters? I just have to say that one of my favorite books in the world is Neil Gaiman's middle grade novel called Fortunately... It's not a middle grade novel. Is what it? is? Well, it's a chapter. It's an early chapter. I mean, yeah. it's maybe even younger than middle grade. It's an awesome book. It's probably younger. You that. It's uh, younger than middle grade, but it's it's more than anyway. Some it's whatever. I love it. It's one of my favorite books, and it's called Fortune. Is it called Fortunately the yeah, Milk? Yeah, Fortunately, Fortunately the, milk. the Milk. And so, <laughs> and it's about this parent going out to buy milk, and he's late coming back, and when he comes back. And the mom's out of town, and so it's like he has to explain why, where, it, took why, why it took him so long. And it's this huge yarn that you know, like what happened trying to get the, the milk it's and get it home. Fun. And it's but each time there's a turn, it's like, and then fortunately the milk, the whatever, or fortunately. Yeah. But I mean, there's like a dinosaur professor and all these, you know, and pirates. I mean, there's huge conflicts and obstacles on the way to and from the store, which they're skeptical of. Yeah. Well, and, and I think also I had a. Um, Playwriting teacher um, who also has written a book about playwriting, and we've seen this is Carol Lashoff, Carol Wolf. Oh, shoot! 
Who's Carol Glashow? She's another playwright. Anyway, um, Carol anyway, Glashow, it'll so be she, in the show notes. Yeah, so we saw some of her work at the Aurora, and, um, and she really likes to sort of, and there's more than one person I've, I've seen who kind of like to think about it in terms of tension or to think about it in terms of kind of setting things up differently. And so it is a place of what is the meaning? How do we create meaning? How do we understand things? I mean, we all know that if you make things too easy, like nobody cares, right? So conflict is like, I think our number one go-to way. And some people are like, conflict is the boulder in the path, right? That's conflict. But someone else will be like, well, no, that's tension. And so I think it's important that people kind of get, whether you use the word conflict or tension or any of those things, that there has to be a question, a fear, a concern, an emotional connection Mm -hmm. And a lack of certainty about the outcome. And why are people afraid to go there? Why do we resist it? Right. Right. I, I mean, I think, I think part of it is for me, and this is, I mean, this is not a critique of anybody else, but I think for myself, when I thought plot was artificial, I was young and relatively privileged and I hadn't really had life give me the one, two punch, mm. you know? Right. <laughs> and, um, and so I, and so plot seemed artificial. That's so interesting. So I had a, very tumultuous life with lots of punches (laughs) along the way and I have never been scared to go there Mm -hmm. so that's a you know that may really have a lot to do with it that I'm accustomed to that world of really tough stuff that you're grappling with things coming both from close at home and from far outside of your world and threatening you um, to your core um, so that's what I put on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never have thought about it as that's that's the reason why I'm so willing to go there. And right. you would right. have to get to that point. Even Even sort of without that, I think a lot of people are afraid of things like melodrama. Right. Like you hear those words and you're Absolutely. like... Absolutely. So it isn't just conflict it's like because there is you know tiny how, big, how, big, how big is too big right and then, <laughs> yes. but it's not about science it's right. actually about meaning and it's about what those events right mean. do right. right yeah so it's it's go big go deep go deep more than anything else go deep go deep so what brought you to finally writing well, I mean, I mean, the funny thing is, as you say that, it's like, I, I mean, I had the in most crazy child. Yes. I mean, as you know, my childhood was not actually this sort of bastion of ease or anything. But I think I also, part of me normalized that. Part of me had a strategy of turning away from conflict, of not acknowledging things were right. wacky, of like, just, you know. So you found you did that in your writing. So I well. think, um, I think I might have, you know, That's felt so that kind of, um, and other people's stories were easier for me to see as, right. as dramatic. Right. And I think um, that may be one of the reasons why so many of my writing students um, want to stay away from conflict. They would like to stay away from conflict in their own lives. Yeah. And they create characters they love and they feel great empathy for. So why would they want bad things to happen to these wonderful people? And yet, and that is when it comes that's alive. fan fiction, right? Like, you know, you're <laughs> like, I no. love these people. And I mean, it's, it it's is. Like it's fan fiction of the, your own characters. Yeah, yes, that's <laughs> really funny. And they don't, they are um, so overly protective of their characters for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, smack those characters around. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, make 
life as miserable for them. When I give the exercise in class, and we've all heard this from writing teachers for uh, decades, make try to think of the worst possible thing that can happen mm -hmm. to your character. Mm -hmm. So I teach a novel in a year class, and there's the point when we get to plot, usually my students are about 100 pages in, and I'm trying to convince them, it's the opposite of the way you guys teach, <laughs> to write without a map, without mm -hmm. a plan, but yet to propel it from conflict, from tension, mm -hmm. so things are happening on the page. But when I ask them at about page 100 mm -hmm. to consider what's the worst possible thing that ha could happen to your character, most of them have not gone anywhere close to that and had not planned on going anywhere close to that. And that is the question that begins to open up the potential mm -hmm. for plot in their story but they've been protecting their characters and, and keeping them from great harm. Uh, so they're not going to find those big stories if they do that. And they're not going to find those deep stories. So, uh, yes, we do have to keep remembering that it's go big or go home, but it's really go deep or go home. But plot puts pressure on character, brings out character. Absolutely. So a lot of the people who resist plot are, are in love with character not just the specific characters but the notion of character right. and the truth is that's how you come to see character i mean that was part of what you were going to talk about at the at this sonoma county writers camp right you you had an idea of, of like why do we fight or go um oh well, yeah i mean i think it is just about um you know at base the conflict comes down to values often what matters and i think um when you don't know your characters well enough mm -hmm. about what they would go to the map for, right? that's when you cannot come up with a conflict that feels authentic. But that's why it's interesting that you wait 100 pages because it seems like, okay, then they really know this character. That's right. Before that, they might not know what the worst thing exactly. would be for this that's character. Right. Also, I don't want them to um, manipulate their characters um, right from the, at, at all. Mm -hmm. I want their characters to find their way to what is happening. And if I pose that question too early, they start to maneuver mm -hmm. the path for the character, to maneuver the character along that path so that might happen. At 100 pages in, the character has already usually started to take on enough um, sort of flesh and bone mm -hmm. um, that they are not just the cardboard cutout that a, that a writer can manipulate. And so they will have to find their own way towards those mm -hmm. bigger stories. Did you, there was in the critics take in the uh, New York Times book review this, this past Sunday, um, Marissa, somebody silver, Marissa silver. Yeah. Yes. And she wrote about this thing. She, and she had this great visual of, being kind of underground in a tunnel, but like event digging, and then eventually like you see mold. this, yeah, like a star nose mold. <laughs> I mean, like if you're gonna be a mole, be a star nose, <laughs> and getting to this like pinpoint of light that you can finally go towards, and that when she tr let go of plotting completely, she made this very plotted novel. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's yeah, part of it is is. And I think this is part of what, what's wonderful about, you know, our teaching together and coming from different perspectives is that it's looking at many different ways right. into conflict right. and There's through no character, right, right through way or stakes, wrong way. through, exactly. you know, through brainstorming, through writing. And, you know, and in a way, I think the way that we teach the planning is, is, in, is a lot like writing a first draft. It's about opening and exploring mm -hmm. and imagining and, and right. you know, so I, yeah. 
I just thought about um, another way in which we can look at this that ties more deeply to character. We've all by now heard the term character arc, right? So that the character, um, what happens in the plot, what happens in the story will transform the character by the end of the novel uh, or the short story or the screenplay. If the character is not transformed by what happens, why tell that story? It's not a big enough story, right? Mm -hmm. So the character really has to be affected profoundly by... Or, or affect. Because the other thing is, there are percentage where an unchanged protagonist yes. changes the world. Ah, so, like, okay. so something superhero. always has to right. change. Absolutely. Something has to change. Change right. is the only... Right. Or fail to change. <laughs> See, but I, I remember having an argument yeah. with uh, um, Blair Fuller, who was one of the founders of the Paris Review, and he and I were teaching a writing conference together down at Asilomar, and I was dissing that, I think it was 70s, 80s, probably 80s New Yorker short stories where nothing happened and the character didn't change, and saying that I just didn't, I really just couldn't stand reading them through that era. Now I think they're... Uh, New Yorker stories have, are much more filled with plot and transformation. And Blair Fuller made the argument that those stories were successful because it was about the character's decision not to change. <laughs> but here's, I mean, having, I read The Atlantic actually in the 80s. That's, they don't do short stories anymore, so I'm, you know, yeah. that ages me. But, um, you know, a lot of times when a character doesn't change, you can see the cost of it as well. So not every ah, character yeah. has to change, but the way that we understand the consequences right. of that behavior, that worldview or whatever changes. And even they, and even the way the character understands the yes. consequences changes. And which, so, which changes that. And I would argue <laughs> most of those stories have a sh at least a shading right. of the tragic if there isn't a change. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, I have this whole theory about the New Yorker, which is that actually they do so many novel excerpts that they created a genre of short stories that are, don't right. have an arc because they're really not short stories. That's right. That's changed lately. But all of that is to say that you can't, if you're looking for a story that is going to have the ability to either change the story or the, I mean, change the character or the character change the world, it's got to be a pretty damn big story, right? We don't go out and get milk. <laughs> Without dinosaurs and, or... And find ourselves transformed, or, right? Right, that, right? That journey to the 7-Eleven, unless or something in the car. catastrophic happens, doesn't necessarily transform us. So we have to find stories that are big enough to, uh, to test our characters, to affect our characters in deep enough ways. Um, and that I, that's to get back to, to how we came up with this idea for Sonoma County Writers Camp is that that feels like it's at the heart of um, storytelling is the giving yourself permission to tell the bigger story, to raise the stakes, to embrace conflict. Yeah. Go big, go deep. Yep. Right. And so, and so let's, let's use that to transition to talk about don't go home, <laughs> go to a writer's retreat. And um, we'll talk a little bit about ours and what inspired it. And, um, and that's certainly one that people are invited to, to come check out at SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com, but also to, you can create your own, um, you know, but what, what does it do? To, and, and I guess the other the other segue <laughs> is that um, I'm always encouraging my students to take the drama out of 
getting to the writing mm-hmm. and all the obstacles we throw on our way between us and the page right. and instead have this very boring habitual practice that you can then fill with drama in on the page. That's right. Right. And then her students all go out and drink together and have a really (laughs) raucous good time. And she's at home thinking everyone's living a well measured (laughs) life. But so, so this is one of the amazing things about getting to go away and sequester yourself from the, 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 both the mundane and the, and the not so mundane drama of life and give yourself that mental space. And to, um, Wrap yourself in the cloak of being a writer. I think it is so hard for um, people to say, I am a writer, and to create a life for themselves where they have a real writing practice because it feels ballsy, it feels um, risky, it feels... Um, and it's a way of taking up a lot of space. It's cocky. Go big. Um, go. Right. And I... Um, I just thought about using two male, very male. I was like, you used cock and balls. And And go big. So (laughs) interestingly, uh, it is mostly my, my, a great majority of my women students have more trouble with that than my male students. And I think that has to do with men are just accustomed to um, imagining that they have the right to anything. And women battle with that. Also, also the stories they're given, the stories that are considered boys' stories from the beginning are, and the characters in the the stories that are really active and whatever are often boys. So um, I think that this notion, when you go to a writer's retreat or writing conference or a... Create for yourself uh, a a weekend. Yes, it's a way of saying, I'm a writer. And you're surrounding yourself with other people who are saying, first and foremost, I'm a writer. It doesn't really matter what they do in their day job. For that period of time, they're writers. And all of your conversations are not about raising children, whatever your day job is. They're not about your relationships. They're about writing. I mean, not all of them. I'm sure after a couple of glasses of wine, you get to some of the other stuff too. But the great majority of those conversations are about writing. And I think it gives you that... it in, infuses you with that sense of um, taking on the role, living in that role, um, and then you're empowered to be that person, to be that writer. Um, so I, I, I think community writers, communities do that in a really powerful way and a retreat from the rest of your life. I used to live in uh, Silicon Valley, and it was much harder to be a writer there than it is here in Sonoma mm-hmm. County where so many people are artists and have embraced a creative life. But in Silicon Valley, everybody I knew was in the high-tech world, and I felt much more an an outcast there. And it was much more important for me to find a writer's community and to get away from the daily life that did not make me feel writerly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was also, you know, again, I don't even know if this is true, and I like to preface most of the things I say with that, <laughs> but I think that I remember Steinbeck did not write all of his, like, Monterey stuff in Monterey. Yeah. Like, he lived there, and then he left. Mm. And I think he was writing it in New York or something, wow. if I remember correctly. And 
The idea isn't just that you're escaping from your daily life, but the contrast That's great. of what you're doing in one space and another. It is so easy to get numb to what's yes. around you Absolutely. on your day-to-day. And so I would actually argue that the retreat is also a great way to sort of invigorate the specificity of the world you're working on by removing yourself. That's lovely. Fabulous. I I want to give people, we're kind of wrapping up and I want to give people a few tips based on some of the things that we created. And so whether they join us or want to create it for themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that we did. So one is um, that we started the morning and it was completely optional because some people I'm sure slept in because it was their vacation in this gorgeous place that was, you know, pampering them. But some of us got up, First thing in the morning, and we lit a fire in the whatever that room was, yeah. and um, in, in the wood burning stove, and without speaking to each other, um, people meditated and wrote, and that was incredibly powerful. Just again, that energy of just being yeah. around other people doing it creates a whole mindset and and just so much energy. So that was so I and, and actually even when we did our weekend with our writing group, we kind of we did kind of keep things quiet for certain periods most of the day yeah but we're together so there's this presence and yet you're also in the space of your own mind yeah Yeah. um so that's one thing and then generative writing is the core of what we do so like our workshops are all generative writing rather than uh story critiques and i think for in my mind that is um it's just a more creative way of feeding your soul of pushing yourself in new directions of learning craft, um, of uh, trying new things. So I, and I, I think there's a time and a place for writing workshops, critique workshops. But for these retreats, um, we, we made that decision for the first one last year. And I really feel strongly that generative workshops are the right, create the right kind of atmosphere for the kind of place where we're trying to establish. Yeah, you, you don't really need to go to like go to paradise to get a, a workshop critique, right? You can. <laughs> well, and I just to say, I met people who are in my writing group now up at the Squaw Valley Screenwriters. Right. And the truth is, having the place to be generative, vulnerable, present, you will probably connect with people who can help give you kind, right. sensitive, smart feedback. Yes. Later and they, and Later. they do. I mean, our, right. our first that group. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, not yes. there, but, right. but you'll make connections right. that will further that right. community even after. Yeah, that, and that our I, first group definitely has. Well, I have heard, uh, first of all, we have from our last year's workshop, I, I need to figure out the exact numbers, but I think we have 60 to 70% return rate for this year, which is phenomenal. <laughs> yes, yeah. But what I have just recently heard is that a, um, a great number of them are meeting. They live all over the Bay Area and some not in the Bay Area, but they're trying to meet every once in a while to create a kind of writer's community outside of Sonoma County Writers Camp. But through connecting yeah. that deeply in four days, which and, is so and, wonderful. And that's actually another tip because... Um, we keep it really small. It's, it's, you know, 24 people, 12 in each workshop. So there's a lot of intimacy. And if you're thinking, oh, I can't create, you know, a giant writing conference, you don't need a lot of people. And there's a huge benefit to small, a small, small, small group. I mean, we, you know, a weekend away with four people is incredible. That's and right. here, you know, we're, we're bringing in agents and, and authors and editors, and you're getting to actually like chat with them yes and right. it's it's just it, it, it is that space of like being feeling like a writer right. around all of these people who are who do devote yeah. their life to it as right. well 
Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, and I guess that's, I mean, the final piece is just, is just that kind of, that complete, well, if you can get unbelievably great, uh, organically self-grown vegetarian food and, um, and, and a, a lovely setting a pond and <laughs> right in the, you know, and, and I mean, there is something about being away, That's right. right? In, a really, way, in a beautiful, in a beautiful place. place. Yeah, you, most people are not going to be coming from somewhere like OAEC. Right. So, you know, so, well, you, you know, so please check us out if you, if you don't have that, because we, um, we, that is something we provide and our tuition does include food and housing. So you come and you've got it all. Um, and, and, and if you, um, and if you have any questions, you can always, uh, email us at, at questions at storymakershow.com about any of this. If you want more tips about, you know, creating a camp, if you want, if you want to know more about what we do, um, you're welcome to, we can talk, we can talk about this more, um, in the future because it's, it's just the most amazing thing. I mean, it I just felt definitely. every day that I just, I want to do this all I the time. Really, I can't and, wait for our camp coming up in May. Yeah. It's going to be wonderful. So our last segment is called steal this. T.S. Eliot said, amateur poets borrow, <laughs> professional poets steal. <laughs> it's only been 55 episodes. You would think at this point I would have it down pat, but I do but not. But part of the stealing is this sort of game of telephone, right? So you want, you probably want to make, take it and make your, make it your own. So, um, what has come up for you uh, in your wanderings and readings that you would like to, um, to make your own? Ellen, you want to? first? Yes. Um, I just read a novel, uh, a newly published debut novel called The Most Dangerous Place on Earth by Lindsay Lee Johnson, I think is her name. Put the link in the um, and it, I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. Uh, it is a, it's story, it's a story about a high school in Mill Valley, Marin County. Um, and I would never think I'd be interested in the high school. I was, you know, do not want to go back and relive my high school experience or my daughter's high school experiences. So I wouldn't think I'd want to live in the fictional world of a high school. But this book is done in such a um, intriguing way. It is not YA. It's definitely, uh, in fact, she apparently had some trouble selling it at first because every publisher wanted to turn it into a YA book. But what impresses me so much about the book, it is told from so many points points of view, close third-person points of view. There's only one adult point of view, one of the teachers. I might be, I'm pretty sure that's correct. But I've never counted, but I bet there's at least eight. Um, I should have, I should check this. I didn't know if you were going to, that you were going <laughs> to ask this question. But there are many, many points of view of from the different students. Um, and it tells one big story, but many, you know, as many points of view that there are, there are that many uh, very personal stories. And what I love is that in the end, it is a community story. It is a story about these young people at this point in time in this place in the world. Um, and I think that's very ambitious. And yet it's told by staying so close to these individual characters. Mm. I love point of view. I love playing with point of view. The novel I'm working on right now has two close, um, one is first person, one is third person points of view. And I have never considered writing many points mm. of view. And I think that would just be a kick to try. I think it's hugely challenging. My hat's off to her. 
Um, but I, uh, it has been running through my mind since then that it's something I'd like to tackle myself. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I can't remember if I mentioned The Trespasser um, previously, but I just finished that. And, um, and I actually novel. took, yeah, I took notes as I went about creating the story and in particular how much each character thought about the theories about what it could be and, and kind of telling those different stories that, and then it wouldn't turn out to be that obviously and it would change and it would morph but there was something about that process of the character thinking through what what is the story because it's a mystery so i i really want to borrow that steal that and um and kind of use that process um in my in my own work that's right yeah and um well as we were thinking and talking about conflict one of the things that i you know as i was talking about before was like values and uh you know, stakes and whatever, but the values kind of are the basis. I mean, you know, unless you have something of value to lose, it is not a stake, right? You just don't care. And ironically, the first thing that came to mind to me was the Irish dad in Gone with the Wind telling Scarlet about land and how land was the only thing worth fighting for and the only thing worth dying for. And of course, she spends the entire film then enacting that and I haven't read the book so I don't know but um you know so the thing that I sort of want to steal is uh kind of the uh bold-faced statements of just you know there's no reason yeah it doesn't have to be like super complicated and you know incredibly subtle incredibly (laughs) subtle because you know it won't echo through the length of of a body if you aren't Kind of like, here's what we're talking about. Right. Uh, I have some problems with the um, wind, but um, <laughs> I thought it's so interesting because it's not the only one that does that, but I just, it is this thing and this notion that we all have values that when clearly articulated passionately by right. a character, even that moment before it's been challenged, we are swept up and in alignment. It's like, oh, our people, our home, our communities, our family, like, mm. yeah, like, you know? And then it's like, well, now we're going to try and take that away. And yeah, it's like, right. oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so Ellen, um, will you tell our listeners how they can find you? Oh. Uh, at uh, com, And uh, also check out SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com. And on both, um, my own website, if you click on teaching, there is a way to sign up to get my, uh, to be on my email mailing list to find out about my own personal classes. Uh, I teach private classes out of my home in Sebastopol, but also down in Palo Alto. And I teach through Stanford Continuing Studies. And occasionally Berkeley. And occasionally Berkeley. That's right. I've now added that to the list. Um, And you can sign up for those classes and as well as Sonoma County Writers Camp information, or there, on that site there's a link, or you can go directly to SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com, and there's a way to sign up for information about uh, Sonoma County Writers Camp right there on that website as well. And August is sold out, but we have room in May. Yes, so if you right. have time in May, that's your that's your chance what to go big or go home. May third through the seventh. It's it's a Wednesday through yes. a Sunday. Third uh, seven. Yeah. And all of that will be in the show notes, which you can find at storymakers.com. Where, 
Storymakersshow.com, and that'll be in the show notes. I have no idea who Storymakers.com is, but I bet they're wonderful people. Storymakersshow.com, and we're on iTunes and Stitcher, and we would love it if you would give us a review. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you. so fun. Yeah.